Hold on to your seats, folks, because we're going to crank it up. Here we go now. When the Big Bang was done and the fun had begun, there were nice spinning planets going around that old sun. And comets and asteroids and meteors, too. It's called the solar system and before and through. I'll tell you about the planets, those are not all the same. I've been to every one of them and I know their names. They're far away, but still they're closer than all the stars. Pluto's further from the sun and Mercury's first. The sun's in the middle, it's a fiery ball. A million miles across, so it's the biggest of all. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 278. So happy to have you guys joining us for another restaurant storytelling episode. This one all about Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe, a true hidden gem for Disney fans. Would you agree? Well, it depends on what you're talking about. It is a true hidden gem for the theming, the history, the story. Food-wise, we'll get to that later. I had a pretty good spicy chicken sandwich there recently. I've been converted. I'm okay. a Cosmic Rays fan. They are stepping up their game. I'll give you that. But I do think there's a great story here, and I'm excited to talk about it. So, If you are new to this series, we do attractions and restaurant storytelling where we take the particular topic and we talk about what the story is today. So we talk a little bit about the history, but more than anything, it's the next time that you walk into this restaurant, knowing what the story is going around you, what the significance of everything is to hopefully enhance your experience and maybe look past a theme park burger and enjoy your lunch just a little bit better at Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe. Let's hit some of the key facts before we get started. This opened on January 1st, 1994, as part of the new Tomorrowland expansion slash refurbishment. Now, I'm going to go ahead and pause there. January 1st, I think now it has to be a tradition in our household. We go eat there on January 1st from here on out, even though we're normally blocked out then. But also, we need to listen to Planetary Boogie every New Year's. Can you commit to that right now? I could commit to that. It is funny, though, that it's called the new Tomorrowland, and also that seems so long ago. They Do they need a new, new Tomorrowland? A new, 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 new Tomorrowland? Yes. And we'll just keep adding news on there. I mean, maybe. We can talk about that once we get to the story of Tomorrowland. This spot was formerly Tomorrowland Terrace, which, of course, now we know is located on the opposite side of the bridge to Tomorrowland, connecting Main Street to Tomorrowland. And, of course, this restaurant in this location is home to our favorite resident of UNORC, Sunny Eclipse. He's who I'm most excited to talk about. So to really understand this space and the history that it tells, I think we need to back it up to Old Tomorrowland and Tomorrowland Terrace because it is pretty significant to the history of Magic Kingdom. Obviously, this location is prime real estate. It's kind of located in this triangular location where you have easy access to Tomorrowland, Cinderella Castle in the Hub, and Fantasyland. You know, it bumps up right into the Mad Tea Party area, and then, of course, it's located in Tomorrowland. And so when they first built Tomorrowland and they first built Magic Kingdom in 1971, they decided that this would be a great place for Tomorrowland's main dining option. So at that time, they made it Tomorrowland Terrace, And it was one of the busiest restaurants in all of Magic Kingdom during the early days. It was sponsored by Coca-Cola, and it was a really massive hit. People really enjoyed its theming and the food that they had to offer. It is funny to look back at some of these old, old menus. You know, and obviously Walt Disney World and Disneyland and all the parks have really upped their food game over the years. But back then, I mean, 
people would get excited for a burger and some chicken. And, you know, it was just very simple of what they were offering of things that they could offer on a mass scale. Which to some extent is still what they're offering. So next time you're eating that burger in Cosmic Rays, you just need to think this is nostalgic. This is historical to this location. This is a historic burger. Correct. Did they have the like the salad bar part of it always? I don't know. The toppings bar, you mean? Toppings bar, whatever you call it. I mean, I guess you could make a salad of it if you've got enough lettuce. But I mean, when I see lettuce and tomatoes, I automatically think salad, and I stay away. Well, they used to have the uh, hot cheese as well, but then they took that away. Oh, don't remind me of that. Sad day. The most prominent feature of Tomorrowland Terrace, though, during its heyday was a live performer by the name of Michael Iceberg. He performed from the mid-1970s. He wasn't there exactly when the restaurant opened, but by the mid-1970s, he was there performing daily until the late 1980s. In real life, his name is Michael Iceberg. Just a slight change, though. His performance name was Iceberg as an I-C-E-berg. His real-life name is Iceberg, I-S-E-berg. So it was really convenient that they barely even had to change his name to get him into this character. It's interesting to now go back and look at all of this fandom of Michael Iceberg, and if you visited Walt Disney World during this time period, you maybe have some memories of him. If you go look on YouTube of any of people who were able to record his performances, or he's done lots of interviews uh, since his retirement as well, and the comments are just packed full of people who are just running on pure, pure nostalgia. And like they, it's some of their greatest Disney memories is of Michael Iceberg and the amazing Iceberg machine, which is, how did we never know about this? I don't know. You know what this is making me think of, though? Is he like the original Yeehaw Bob? I drew that same conclusion. Because we feel that same way about Yeehaw Bob, and we know a lot of other people do, too, who was a performer over at Port Orleans Riverside, where we stayed when we got engaged. That's how we saw him. But, I mean, they both play some version of the piano. They He didn't sing Michael Iceberg. Uh, Did he? No, he doesn't really sing very much during his performances. It's mainly, so this is a good time to talk about, he had this giant synthesized piano with multiple keyboards, and it was stacked super high. So if you think about where Sunny Eclipse is now, Sunny is raised up a little bit above the crowd. Michael Iceberg was like up near the ceiling almost, raised up that high, and there was these giant... Um, mirrors that sat behind him so that you could see how fast he was moving to play all of these different synthesizers along the way. And he did, he had like commentary too. So he was very entertaining and he was a pretty cool guy to watch if you get a chance to look him up on YouTube. So there was a Disney channel special ran in the eighties where he had a full performance, like a half hour block during this Disney channel Uh, Parks promotional video. And so if you want to search that on YouTube, you certainly can. And I encourage you to do that. To the best of my knowledge, Michael is still alive at the age of 81. Like I said, he's done different interviews in the past. I'd love to get a chance to talk to him someday. (laughs) He's done a lot of interviews and he's even built his own little ice machine in his home that he can still play the synthesizer. But I think What's truly remarkable to me, people knew him for his humor, that he was performing almost every single day, and this is similar to Yeehaw Bob, but his energy level, every day he was there, people said it seemed like he was playing his very first show, and people were just enthralled with what he was able to bring. But most importantly, or maybe not most importantly, but one of the longest lasting things was just how unique the sounds were that he was able to create on these synthesizers. You think about in the 70s and 80s, these were really unique sounds. So I think it's a good time that we did pull a clip of one of his performances. So we're going to play that now so you can hear him. Hey, let's play a song. I'm going to play a song with notes and everything. This is a song came to me in a nightmare one evening. This is called The Little Piggy Hoedown. 
I just got to check out if everything is set right here because, you know, you got to set everything. I mean, this is not just the... Okay, mixtures are the rich, the props are forward, the suction gauge is checked, three green lights, doors closed, boost pumps on, little piggy toe on, take one. So if you're like me, hearing that, you definitely get some Main Street Electrical Parade vibes. He was not the performer that played the soundtrack that played along with the parade, but the Main Street Electrical Parade music was part of his set that he would play in Tomorrowland Terrace. That will make a grown man cry, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's just super cool that they allowed him to play it. I mean, I guess it makes sense. He is in Disney, but I feel like that in itself would be a crowd pleaser. So he played some covers of classic Disney music. I saw in one part he was playing some music from Cinderella. He would play the Main Street Electrical Parade music. But then he would also play these things that he just kind of came up with along the way. And talk about just like in all of our research that we've done on this, some of the most long-lasting memories that people have, and I think it's going to be true for us in the future as well, we are always going to remember Yeehaw Bob. Like nothing will ever change, you know, the memory of us seeing him for the first time. We talked about it for weeks afterwards. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it years afterwards. I was going to say, we still talk about him. And people are still talking about Michael Iceberg. People are still talking about, what are the people from uh, the Empress Lily that we talked about a few weeks ago? The Riverboat Rascals. Yeah. Like these live performers, we always talk about the cast members are the magic. The performers are the magic. The live entertainment is the magic. I think it, I guess in my mind, I just never realized how deeply entrenched it is in the history of how, like I said, those are the things that people are stumbling across his music 40 years later, and they're connecting with it, and they're remembering the time that they ate in Tomorrowland Terrace and saw Michael Iceberg in the Amazing Iceberg Machine. You're like, that's... Pretty crazy to me. It is pretty cool just how, you know, it's one of those little things that I feel like can be overlooked so easily at Disney because you think about the food, the characters, the rides, and, you know, the little performances side, um, like the street performers that they used to have, like the people of Hollywood, citizens of Hollywood, like all of those things that are easily missed sometimes are the most impactful. So maybe we can have a discussion at the end, just talking about like, does sunny eclipse have that same impact? It's really big shoes to fill, but we can entertain that idea at the very end of this episode, but let's get back to Tomorrowland Terrace. Talk about its demise. So by the late eighties and early nineties, Tomorrowland as a whole was kind of in really rough shape. The story had kind of began to fall apart just by the appearance of this land was not able to keep up with the story of this is a community that's set in tomorrow. So by the time the paint started to crack a little bit and the rides were a little outdated, the story just kind of came to unravel. And it's an interesting note to think about. By the 80s and 90s, this was the story of this was actually built in the 50s when Walt built Disneyland. So they were building a Tomorrowland from the 50s, and they were already 40 or 50 years past that idea. So it was probably time. Now, again, we might think that time has come again right now for Tomorrowland. But but that's the problem with a Tomorrowland. Well, and that's what they knew that they would continue running into. So when they came up with this new idea for new Tomorrowland, the proposed new story, which they went with, Change it up a little bit. So instead of being a community set in tomorrow, it is now officially known as a community that was ne- that never was. That's the quote, that never was. So they're basically distancing it from our reality that we're in. Basically saying, 
you know, if things worked out differently and, you know, whatever might have happened, that this could have been what tomorrow looked like, but it's not our tomorrow. Does that make sense? It does make sense, but it does kind of make your brain hurt to think about it. Because you do really have to think about it. When you say something that never was, like that's very ambiguous. So you definitely need the explanation of the potential tomorrow that we're not but it's not smart enough to have. Yeah, like I don't, it's kind of, it's it's very strange. So basically this was their way of future-proofing to a certain extent Tomorrowland, which I honestly never knew that this is how they phrase it. I always thought of the old story of this is supposed to be what the future is like. But this was their way of basically making it where they didn't have to constantly update this. Well, and unfortunately, just from the name Tomorrowland, you know, 85, 90% of people who visit Tomorrowland are probably still going to go with the original narrative. Unless they were to put it in writing, like underneath the Tomorrowland sign, you know, this is what never was or, you know, however they want to word it. Like, I don't think people are going to gravitate towards that or understand that. So this brings up another point and something that I think Tony Baxter was really in tune with. And maybe he didn't officially come up with this idea, but he was probably the person who finally signed off on it. But when they were building Euro Disney, now Disneyland Paris, they do not have a Tomorrowland. They have a Discovery Land. And so... Maybe they realized over time that, you know, it's too late for Disneyland and Disney World and Magic Kingdom to change it, I think. They could, but they would That was going to be my next question. Would they ever change it? But maybe you can see them learning from their mistakes. And mistakes is probably not the right word, but just but taking it, is, it a different direction. It is in a way. It's poor wording. If you know it's something that you're never going to be able to keep up with. It's a great idea. I think it's something that, you know, goes with what Walt envisioned. You know, even if you think about Epcot, he was always trying to think about the future and what that could look like and what it could be. But it's it's hard. So obviously this was something that was on Walt's mind as well because this whole discussion reminds us of a quote uh, from Walt, he says, the only problem with anything of tomorrow is that at the pace we're going right now, tomorrow would catch up with us before we got it built. So, I mean, this was probably something in the 50s and maybe even before then that he was actively thinking about is that we are actively outdating ourselves by doing this. No matter how far you can imagine you're going into the future, you're going to catch up to it. Well, and it's funny too. That, you know, he said, like, at the pace we're going, I'm looking at you, Tron Coaster. It's going to take forever. It's also, you know, obviously with Tomorrowland, there's a there's a connection there between Tomorrowland and Future World of Epcot. And both of them, I almost think Tomorrowland, that's, that's its own issue. I almost think Future World is a worse name that's that fair. you get stuck because... Tomorrow, like you said, that's a little ambiguous. You know, what is tomorrow? I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> future, I don't know. It's more closely connected to a timeline is how I use that word. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess if you think future, you think futuristic, and that leads more towards, I think, like technology, which is kind of what Epcot is going for, especially we just talked about test track. And the design for, you know, future, whatever. I don't know. I might agree with you. Future World might be a worse name than Tomorrowland. I mean, we're not going to solve this. No. This is a bigger issue. But it is a an interesting discussion. And I think it does lend itself to understanding the story of Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe. So part of this new Tomorrowland, as we mentioned before, Tomorrowland Terrace then moves over to the opposite side of the bridge which used to be the Plaza something, Plaza Cafe, I believe, which is also interesting because the Plaza restaurant is right next to it. But that's a different discussion for a different day. But Tomorrowland Terrace moves over there. 
because they were going to have to update it anyway. And so they went ahead and moved it over there so that it could use a similar theming to what they were using in Disneyland's version of Tomorrowland Terrace. And then that paved the way for Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe to open in 1994. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever actually eaten at Tomorrowland Terrace? Never in my life. Me neither. I honestly don't think I've ever eaten there. I actually, I know I've never eaten there. Now, honestly, I was going to say at the beginning of this that Cosmic Ray, uh, that yeah, Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe is the most overlooked restaurant in Magic Kingdom. But then I, as I was doing my research, I said, no, it's Tomorrowland Terrace. I don't know anybody who goes there. Now, it is prime seating. I've often been thinking about recently of like where would be the perfect spot to go and work for a day. Like take your laptop, take your iPad. Like where would be the perfect spot? And I think Tomorrowland Terrace is in the running for that. I have a big problem with it though. You're getting Tomorrowland music there instead of the hub music or mainstream music. Now that's just me. I prefer the other music, but I don't know. I mean, it falls into that same category that, you know, we mentioned with Cosmic Rays. It's just such an interesting location. And honestly, I do not understand why they would move Tomorrowland Terrace out of that space instead of just creating the new space for Cosmic Rays. They're both space-themed restaurants with food that's not great. <laughs> like They're one and the same. I feel like people probably just confuse them like your average joe tomorrowland terrace is just somewhere that i always forget about unless you're just like walking that way i think the most use that that space gets honestly is for when they're doing the dessert party yeah because that is prime fireworks viewing right there well and that's why they do the dessert party because they realize that they could get people to pay for it. Well, and it, it's prime seating all the time. That's what I'm saying. It, it is a wonderful location. So we're going to have to try it sometime soon. They are serving uh, Columbia Harbor House food there right now, which is a little interesting. Yeah, it's a little weird. Did you realize that? I, I feel like I did because I know you've probably mentioned it before. But again, I'm not going to think to go there. It's just one of those things like when you're when you move it into a different kitchen, like – I don't know. There's something about those fry machine, like those those fryers that they're using to cook the fish. But you Columbia haven't Harbor had House. it. I know. I'm just saying. I imagine like they probably haven't changed the oil in Columbia Harbor House in years, and I think that's what makes it so great. You move it over to Tomorrowland Terrace, you're getting cross contamination. I I don't I don't know if I can support it. You're making it sound very dirty. <laughs> I'm a, sure Disney is not that dirty in a good way, though. I, I mean, I know that. I just have to clarify for everyone else. You think the Yorkshire fish and chip shops, how often do they change their oil? Not often. I guess they're trying to make it authentic. That's what make yeah, that's what makes it good. Do you want your burger cooked on a stovetop that's been freshly cleaned or one that has the the juice of all the burgers before it? <laughs> I guess I'll go with uh, option B. That's what I thought. So let's talk about, before we get to our main man, Sunny Eclipse, let's talk about Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe. Just the brief story before then. And then, honestly, most of the attention is on, on Sunny himself. But Cosmic Ray's is an intergalactic chain restaurant that has chosen Earth as its next franchise expansion. This makes me think about something interesting. And it's almost the same idea behind these Avengers campuses. So the Avengers campus in Disneyland is the West Coast campus and the Avengers campus in Disneyland Paris is the Europe campus for the Avengers. You know, that's that's an interesting take on it. And again, this this leads us down a path of talking about Batu, but we'll save that discussion for another day as well. But do you think, you know, could they expand on this idea and say, hey, because Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafes went so well in our Orlando, Florida location, we're now opening up one in Shanghai. You know, and it's different, and we're going to get another, you know, performer, performer there to to be there. This is the second franchise that we're bringing to Earth. 
I feel like they could definitely play it up. I mean, it's a cute enough idea, and I do like the backstory. I feel like that's the most important part, obviously, in a storytelling series, that it has to have a good story. And I do feel like in some of those international parks where they would probably do it even better than it's done here in Walt Disney World, I mean, I think people just eat it up. You have like a mascot, basically. You have your performer, Sunny Eclipse. I'm sure it would be some other sort of relative or friend, maybe. Maybe even a whole band. Although that might give me Chuck E. Cheese vibes. But I think it could be really cool. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese vibes. Yes, they had a they have a band. They do. So Cosmic Rays Starlight Cafe does feature three different bays. In Bay 1, they serve chicken. In Bay 2, they serve burgers. And in Bay 3, they serve soup, salad, and sandwiches. This is during normal operation. Right now, they're just in like a mobile order way of serving food. But it's all the same things. Correct. The building itself is boomerang-shaped with one wing being seated closer to Cinderella Castle. That's the indoor seating. They have a central kind of hub location just off of the uh, ordering counters. That's where Sunny Eclipse's stage is set up. And then the other wing is outside, and it runs alongside and across the walking path from Tomorrowland Speedway. So you may be asking, and I asked this story about who is Cosmic Ray. And at this time, we don't really know too much backstory around him. Instead, the story really revolves around Sunny Eclipse. And he's the main man. I will say, I do like this restaurant just for the sake of seating, because I do think it's always easy to find a table. What I don't like about these bays during like normal business hours is that your whole family is not going to want the same thing. So you have to make multiple trips to multiple bays. Is that how it works? I don't know, but why would it why would it say, okay, chicken in bay one, burgers in two and, you know, a salad in three. I honestly don't remember how it worked, but I almost think the cash registers were back so that you didn't have to split up your family. But maybe I'm wrong. That just seems so odd. I don't like it. I don't want to have to be put into a category. Let me be indecisive while I stand in line. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. So on to Sunny Eclipse. He is the main guy. And... All I could think about when I was researching this is our friend Connor from WW Opinion because Connor loves Sunny Eclipse. So I hope we do this justice because he deserves it. But Sunny is the in-house musician for the Starlight Lounge in Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe. And the big question is, how did he get here? How did this mega superstar end up in Tomorrowland on planet Earth. An intergalactic superstar. Exactly. He's a big deal. And we'll start from the beginning. So he grew up in Unork on the planet of Zork. And that will make you feel like you're in a Dr. Seuss book saying that three times fast. For two people who get tongue twisted, this is not going to be our best episode. No, we're, I have to like focus a lot on what we're talking about and basically, that planet is an interesting planet. It's full of methane clouds. And I don't know much about methane. I'm assuming it's a toxic gas. Yeah, not something you want to be around. Because he had to spend most of his time underground. So I can assume that living underground, there aren't a lot of sports. There's probably not much to do. But luckily for him, Unork was the entertainment capital of Zork. So he immersed himself in music. He became basically a musician. And that's when he decided that he wanted to tour around the galaxy. This had to make me think about Nashville coming from the music capital of, the world. I don't want to say earth of the United States. I would say the world. No, you think? Yeah. I think Nashville is the music capital of the world. Well, maybe just cause I'm from Nashville. But. I would say that. Definitely a little biased, but we'll go with it. But most people, this is my time to go to bat for Nashville. Most people think it's just country music, and that is not true. There are so many different genres coming out of Nashville now. Well, and coming, you went to like the music school, 
Not that we're musically inclined by any means. That's just the school you went to. I graduated to. with so many people who went into music business. Yes, into the music industry. So it did make me think of Nashville. So I have to like Sunny Eclipse even more now. Wouldn't that be funny if he had like a little country accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the problem is, is that Disney would make it hokey. They would make I... it like the country bears. Okay, well... Anywho, it was a point. I think he needs to have like a, like a like a New York accent like he does to be on brand with you, Nork. But he, do, he does have a little bit of an accent, That's right? what I'm saying is that I think his accent is appropriate. Okay, whatever. But he ended up touring around the galaxy with the help of his agent, Johnny Jupiter. So touring was going great until he went to Mars and he ended up losing his backup singers. And that's where he was introduced to the invisible space angels who took over his background singing and have been with him loyal ever since. Which they do. You can hear them with him. You just can't see them, obviously, because they're invisible. They're invisible. Yes. So you can hear them. And they currently reside and play in the Starlight Lounge with Sonny. So he has his own set list, eight songs. It's about a 25-minute set, which is honestly... The perfect amount of time, I feel like, for a quick service restaurant. Now, you might end up hearing some songs twice, which I feel like is okay, especially if you hit, like, the good ones, if you get there at a good time. I want to hear Planetary Boogie at least three times during my meal. Three times? Yes. That's a long sit-down meal. It's worth it. You're going to have to get dessert for that. But all of these different songs kind of highlight his different personalities. So he's very relaxed. You can tell that he's confident. Um, he has some good puns in there, but he also has a very romantic side. Ooh, Sonny getting romantic. So he has a lot of different sides to him, which I do feel like makes him a better musician. It adds to the experience because you never know what you're going to get. Unless, of course, you've memorized his set list. So it starts with My Name is Sunny Eclipse, which is his own theme song. Anybody who sings a theme song about themselves writes high in my book. I mean, that exudes confidence. He has his own song. But I like I like that he's introducing himself to his audience. Because obviously not all of the people who visit Cosmic Rays know who he is. Some might be first timers. Well, they're clearly not familiar with their intergalactic musical superstars. No. They need some posters outside. If they're really trying to sell this, they need... Some posters outside to draw the people in. So I have seen something from the Disney magazine, like the Disney files, I think is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And there was something like that once. In my research, I saw it where there was like a cartoon of him and it was like, one night only, sunny eclipse, find him at the Starlight Cafe. If we could find that, we would buy it. I know. Can someone make a t-shirt out of that, please? I'm just throwing that out there. Um, The next one is Out in Space, which is basically a ballad all about Earth's beauty. Hello, Space Space Angels, where he introduces his background singers. Gravity Blues, Starlight Soup and Salad, which is all about the menu. That's cute. Bright Little Star, which is his love song for his six-eyed girlfriend. Very sweet. Planetary Boogie, that's the song that you heard at the very beginning. That's a bop. And then You Nork, You Nork. So in, in a, a tribute to his hometown. So it's honestly like the perfect playlist. It starts out fast. You hit the blues in the middle with gravity blues. You get the romance about Bright Little Star towards the end. And then he bumps it up back at the end with Planetary Boogie and You Nork, You Nork. So it's honestly kind of brilliant. You may be asking, who were the geniuses who came up with this? The two Imagineers who worked on this together were George Wilkins and Kevin Rafferty, which Kevin Rafferty has worked on all kinds of stuff. He just recently retired as well. And then the voice of Sunny Eclipse, close your ears if you don't want to believe that his name is Cal David, is the voice of Sunny Eclipse. But he's real, so I don't know what that means. I don't know either, because Sunny is his own superstar. But there is a fun fact about Sunny Eclipse, and this, to me, just seals the deal for why he's underappreciated and he's very cool. 
He has one known relative, a cousin, who goes by Captain Zeke, is how Brendan decided to say it. Um, Zeke's is how I say it. So let me spell it for you. Z-Z-Z-Y-X-X-X. And this cousin of his used to work security at the Star Tours in Tokyo, Disneyland. Now, he has since retired, so he's no longer there. Hopefully, he's on a beach or traveling the galaxy. I don't know. What do retired aliens do? Well, it brings up a good point. He is not from Unork, like his cousin. He is from Jew Nersey. And so maybe their Jew Nersey, similar to our New Jersey, maybe it has a beach. Maybe it has an Atlantic City or a or a, a Nersey shore. You're telling me that Captain Zeke's might be like a fist pumping. He could know partier. He party could animal. know the Zork version of DJ Polly D. Okay, so if we are talking about franchise opportunities for Star for Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe, and obvi- I mean it's already a franchise, I'm going to demand a June Nersey version of DJ Polly D. We'll put it at the boardwalk. Fits in perfectly. They I'm, came from June Nersey to New Jersey to Atlantic City. I'm down. So all of this to say, now that we know that he has a really cool cousin, is that Sunny Eclipse has the potential to make a Star Wars appearance. Because obviously he travels throughout the galaxy. He already has connections. Do you think it's possible? Uh, It's definitely possible. I think we need a concert with DJ Rex and Sunny Eclipse. DJ Rex could be the version of DJ Polly D. I'm going to need a little more personality. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it just makes so much sense and it's really cool. So a little bit of the background and more technical side of this is that Captain Zinks was just made from an animatronic, a backup animatronic that they had of Sunny Eclipse. So they put a new skin and a new appearance on him. And that's how he was built. But he is a little bit different than Sunny. So they are both part of the species called Zorkies from the planet Zork, aptly named. Very original. Their skin colors can be all kinds of different things. They can be green, like Sunny, blue, pink, purple, or polka dot. So Zinx is some kind of like pinkish green. You thought it was maybe kind of peach. Yeah, I went more pinky. And so there's all kinds of different ways that Zorkies can can appear. But one of his best lines, Captain Zeke's, is that he would interact with people as they were leaving the exit queue. And he would say things like, hello, welcome to Earth. I hope you enjoyed your flight. Do you have any fruit to claim? Too bad. I'm getting hungry. So he was, you know, very like funny and clever and friendly, similar to Sunny. And they even had like merch of him in Tokyo Disneyland. So I don't know why when they refurb Star Tours in Tokyo and they made it into Star Tours, the adventure continues. He did have to retire at that point. I don't know why though. If he was, yeah, if he was well-loved, maybe he's getting ready to travel to a new galaxy. Or Maybe to so. uh, this part of Earth. That would be great. Two, two Zorkies in one place. That'd be cool. So just to kind of get our final thoughts out there, I think that this story is really immersive. And one of my favorite things about it is as we've gone through this storytelling, we've noticed a tendency that a lot of times the things that maybe we don't buy as much and they're harder to get into is when in the story they're asking you to transport yourself somewhere else. Like they're they're having you make quite a few assumptions. And I think one of the best parts of uh, Cosmic Ray, Starlight Cafe, is that the story is basically laid out right in front of you. You don't have to go anywhere. They have franchised on Earth. It fits in with this 
version of tomorrow that never could be. And there's not too much that you have to do. And then really the story picks up with Sonny himself and through his music and through his commentary, he is explaining how he got here and more about him and his personality and his interests. And so I think it's something that leads to a really good story when the buy-in is so smooth. Well, I mean, you do have a good point where you don't necessarily have to do a whole lot of research to feel like you can enjoy the atmosphere or enjoy the story because, you know, we looked at his set list. He does explain all of the must-know details. And I do wish to a certain extent that there was more or that there was a way for you to know more about Sonny. Like we did have to do some research to learn more about him, but I don't know. I feel like it could be just a little bit more without, without having to, you know, do anything crazy. I think it's such a wonderful launching pad and you've seen them do this with other Titles, they did it with Haunted Mansion. They've done it with Figment. Is This is a great story for Marvel to pick up and run a comic book series on. It's already, you already have the groundwork in place for a Star Wars story to a certain extent. Or a cameo. Or a cameo of some sort. But you can expand on his backstory in a way that's relatively inexpensive and really just feeds more into this that, you know, because I don't know, I do feel like maybe it's just because we avoided this place for years. We really did. And we still somewhat do. But it does feel like not many people, after their fun-filled, magical day in the Magic Kingdom, not many people got to experience sunny eclipse throughout those days. I think the people that do really enjoyed it, you know, it's a little, it's corny, it's but in the best way. I agree. But it actually is good music, which I think this is going to get people mad at me. But the Country Bears is not necessarily good music. It's hokey. It's funny. Like, I get it. Sunny is actually good music, I think. So it's really entertaining and a different angle on it where it mixes the humor and whatever else. So. We talked about the food throughout this. What do you think they could do to, is it a brand new menu? Is it just improved ingredients? What do you think? I mean, I do. I just wish it was a little different. I feel like there are plenty of places across Disney property where you can get burger, fries, the, you know, famous chicken nuggets. You know exactly what they look like, what they taste like. As soon as I said Disney chicken nuggets. You know, there's plenty of that. Which they are good. But you can only eat so much of that, you know, on a trip, when you live here, whatever it might be. So I do wish it was unique, you know, and I don't know if I want them to go necessarily the same route as like Docking Bay 7, where it's extremely futuristic and it's kind of crazy. And that's good food too, though. But I do think there's a good... Middle ground. They could even go some sort of route like Pandora, you know, where it's just like a different cuisine, but it could fit so easily into Tomorrowland or like Uh, space, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think my issue really comes down to it is that there is some variety in Magic Kingdom food, but what is the difference between the menus between here, Tomorrowland Terrace, and the lunching pad? Now, this may just be my ignorance. I feel like they all three serve the exact same thing. I know they don't. Like, that's just the general impression that I get on that. So I do think it's as simple as revamping it and making it. We know they can. We know that they can do that in a quick service setting with Satuli, with Docking Bay 7, with Sunshine Seasons to a certain extent. Like, they can elevate the level. And I do think of all of the restaurants in Magic Kingdom, of the quick service restaurants, this is probably the one that has the most, you know, story to go along with the food. Mm-hmm. That that you can really elevate it to the next level. 
I mean, even if it was just, you know, maybe not a whole menu, like, okay, if that's too much, but maybe some sort of dessert, like a specialty from Zunork, right? Yes. So, I mean, I feel like just something like that could be fun. Well, and, you know, there are some, we do already have Pinocchio Village House that's serving Italian-esque food. Although that has gone way downhill, too. They did take away our favorite Parmesan chicken sandwich, but we have, we're going to have to file a complaint with Disney to get that back. <laughs> but, you know, with the references to you, Nork, you know, obviously the play on words with New York as well, like they could have New York style food. Now, I'm, I've obviously never been to New York, so I'm not an expert on this, but you could serve cannolis, you could serve pizza, like gourmet pizza. Like New York style pizza and other things that embody you, Nork slash New York. You know, that could be like cheesecake, like a cool, you know, like Pandora has like a futuristic cheesecake kind of thing. We've never tried it. Isn't Uh, that what it is? Like the blue? Yeah. For some reason, I heard you say cheesecake, but what I, what my brain registered was cheese steak. And I was like, that's Philly. What are you talking about? But yeah, I mean, yeah, or I think there's stuff like you something can... silly, like a like a seasonal slushy. I don't know. But well, I do think they have some things like that. But not specifically for like Cosmic Rays and Zoo York. Unork. Unork. See Zoo York, that's a brand of clothing. Oh my gosh, it is. I didn't even do that on purpose. I th- I combined the Zork. Honest mistake. Last question I have for you, last discussion point is, now knowing more about Michael Iceberg and the amazing iceberg machine, does that take away from Sonny to you knowing that it used to be a live performer and how much... like? If there was a live performer there, I feel like we would probably make it a point to go there way more often. That's not taking anything away from Sunny, in my opinion. It's just, that's the value of live entertainment. There is. I mean, I do agree. There is a certain value to live entertainment. You know, it's also a matter of, like, finding the right fit, though. You know, I do feel like Michael Iceberg was something special, you know, and you can't necessarily duplicate that. Like, there's not another Yeehaw Bob out there just, like, waiting around to take his spot. You know, it's a it's a particular personality, and that's what makes live entertainment so special. Well, and especially this type of role where you have to bring it every single day, besides your off days, and multiple times a day. you got to bring it every single time. I mean, yes, yeah, Sunny performs nonstop. I don't I don't know if Sonny ever takes a break. I've never seen him take a break. He's got little bitty legs. I'd love to see him walk off the stage. He would be pretty cute. But, you know, so I feel like it it doesn't take away from Sonny because I do think there's a, a specific story that has to go with Sonny. Whereas a live performer, you know, Michael Iceberg, you know, we said he was somewhat, you know, being a character or he was being put into a different role. But, like, that was him. You know, he was performing. He didn't have an elaborate backstory about traveling the galaxy. So that's, I mean, that makes the space a little bit different, too. Yeah. I don't I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, of course, I'm, we're always going to choose live entertainment over an animatronic. But I agree. It's, it's tough to find that. And it's tough at the end of the day. What Cosmic Rays is trying to do is feed people in mass quantities. So if you add a live performer, it probably, you know, as much as I hate to say it, it probably makes people sit there too long. And they, you know, they pack the restaurant during the performances and then it's dead during other times. So maybe there's an element of that it just didn't work for a quick service location. It's not going to turn people out quick enough. Yeah. Whereas now you don't even think about it. It's just, you know, when you sit down, you're going to hear at least part of Sonny's set. And he's going to take, what is it, like a five-minute break, if that? 
Or does he just restart? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I know we've been there through the whole set plus some because, you know, to sit and eat, it does take around 25 minutes, if not more. But I, I honestly can't recall what happens. But anyway, I think this is a, a, a really cool story. It's a really cool story of the space and a really cool story that they've laid out of Sonny. Then they build a connection out in Tokyo to him. So again, it's one of those that they they put a bookmark in it for now, but they could come back to this and continue to expand on this story, which would be really cool. Last question I have for you. If we ever went to like a Halloween party or a DVC party and there was a sunny eclipse meet and greet, how long would you wait for it? Oh my gosh, that would be incredible. Um, man, well, why not wait all night? Might as well, right? Would you wait long? You waited a you whenever you saw that Carl Fredrickson was coming out at that one party that we went to, Mm -hmm. you were willing to wait any amount of time to meet Carl. Does Sonny have the same stipulation? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think it'd be cool to have a conversation with him, especially now that we know a little bit about his background. I feel like he would really appreciate our fandom. And I think I'd like to hear his little accent. I think it'd be fun. Oh, so you think he'd be talking to you? You said meet and greet. Oh, okay. Okay. I deserve at least a hello or something. A little serenade? Yeah, welcome. You don't have six eyes, so I don't know if you're his type. That's true. But that's okay. Just a friendly, just a friendly little something. Hmm. Hey, how's it going? Any other thoughts on Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe? No, I just think... If you have the time, and if you're looking for something to eat, okay, we've already talked about the food might not be the best, but I do think it's fun to sit and actually listen to the lyrics because there is something there. And I feel like a lot of people probably miss the story because, you know, if you're eating, you're usually talking to people, you might be getting up to go get condiments or whatever it is. You might have kids, but I think it's worth to listen to at least a few songs, the best you can, because it's a cool story. Preferably Planetary Boogie. Of course, Planetary Boogie. Or listen to it at home. Pull it up on YouTube right now and you can hear the whole set. And listen to Michael Iceberg as well. So we hope that next time you visit Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe, that your experience is enhanced, knowing a little bit more of the backstory. Hopefully we shared some new things with you that you didn't know beforehand. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back on Monday with a brand new one. So hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will chat with you next week. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.